All right, what's up, guys? Welcome back to the Rigos Rag podcast. Ian Cummings here with Jacob Kamaker, co-editors for Rigos Rag. We're here with you again a little earlier than usual on the schedule. We we had a topic. Uh, we we came up with an idea, and you know, uh, it's the dead season for draft season. You know, it's the kind of it's the time of year where all the hot takes come up, and everyone's talking about, oh, this guy's gonna bust. This guy's gonna be great. And we're here, guys, to just kind of put a dampener on all that stuff. All right, we've got some pet peeves for draft season uh, to rant about and ramble about and, you know, just kind of vent a little bit. And I got Jacob here. He's really itching to say what he has to say. But first off, Jacob, before we get into the meat of it, how are you doing? I am doing great. It's warm here and I am running on very little sleep. So that's a good mix of things. (laughs) I'm not sure if that's a good mix i guess you got the warmth in there which is always good so yeah i mean i, I came home this weekend tennis court nets were up so you know i hit that up right away and uh yeah it's happy spring's coming and the draft is coming so we're gonna get into that um my michigan state spartans won last night so i won't be as brutal as i would be if they'd lost i'm gonna i'm gonna pull a few punches but uh we do have some pet peeves to share with you guys uh, as you always as you all know draft season there's a lot of information being thrown out there and it's it's tough to parse through it and see what's credible what's logical and what's not what's reasonable and what's not and you know it's just it's tough to sift through it and so uh there's some inconsistencies that can be brought to light and uh there's you know uh we've got some pet peeves to share uh some things that we're not very fond of in draft season and just kind of general uh, mannerisms that could be avoided so this is kind of a, a draft guide you know what not to do during draft season kind of just some keys to kind of keep in mind moving forward uh with a month left before draft season so jacob i'll let you go first what's one pet peeve that you have uh during draft season all right so one of my big pet peeves is the need versus value debate and uh, this happens every year in that we have these debates about these prospects and it's like oh well this guy doesn't fill a need and obviously, we don't know how the draft is going to shake out, but there are certain guys that, you know, look like top-tier prospects, or at least, you know, you have your opinion on who these top-tier prospects are going to be. And sometimes they may not come at a position of need, but NFL teams that pass over value for need, more often than not, end up regretting it. Because there are certain times when players are on the board that could end up being elite guys. And the team's like, oh, we have good players at this position. We're going to pass on him. Uh, and on paper, that might make sense because you're strengthening your team now. But long-term, NFL needs change very rapidly from year to year. Like, take the Redskins, for example. Last offseason, we signed Alex Smith for five years. Uh, we knew we would eventually draft his successor at some point. But did anyone think it was going to possibly be this year? I don't think so. So, um, with the rapid changing of needs at the NFL level, I've always fallen into the category where if there's this player with a superior value on the board, like, and I'm not talking like two equal guys or somewhat equal or one slightly better. Maybe you go with a position to need in that point. I'm talking like if a top five prospect falls to you at 15, even if it's at a position you might not need, you have to at least consider taking him because if you don't, you're just passing on talent to fill a perceived need that might change like next off season. Exactly. And, and the whole goal is to kind of make, to kind of form the most talented roster you can for the cheapest price. And I mean, if you're reaching at positions of need, I know 
Uh, you got into a conversation on Twitter about Ed Oliver, uh, whether the Redskins should draft him if he were to fall. And, you know, the, the, on one hand, you know, uh, it's not a need. But on the other hand, you know, he's a top five talent, versatile, can put him really anywhere on the line. And he'll he'd be a good piece, you know, and he's talented enough where if if something changes down the line, if you need that whole field, you've got it right there. And, you know. It's not principle, need versus value. It's not principle. You know, uh, there's no right answer. Uh, but generally, like you said, uh, if you pass on value, you might regret it. And so I definitely agree with that. And uh, any any more thoughts on the positional versatility? Yeah, I mean, well, specific, let's talk a little Ed Oliver since you brought him up. Yeah. Like, I get that Ed Oliver is a defensive tackle, and defensive tackle is one of the positions that the Redskins are, like, kind of stacked at. But – there, there's a couple things to take into account here. First of all, Matt Ioannidis is a free agent after this year. I have a I have a tough time imagining that they'll pay him to play 42 percent of the snaps. Second of all, I think Ed Oliver is probably a top five prospect in this class. So if he's on the board at 15, I would consider him regardless, just because you don't get a chance to add a top five prospect every year. I mean, no one thought that the team was going to get Jonathan Allen, and they ended up drafting him, and he's been very good. Uh, but also with Oliver, like, yeah, he's a defensive tackle. But like you said, Ian, like, he played defensive tackle at college, but he has the athletic profile needed to play anywhere on that line. And there are even some teams that think he could play linebacker. And, you know, I'm not one of those guys who would play him as a stand-up linebacker or anything. But, you know, you can draft him, use him on the interior some, have him play the edge a bit because he has that versatility. I mean, versatility is important. Very important in the modern NFL. I mean, just look at Derwin James, what he did last year. I mean, he was a safety in college, and he played a little slot corner, but the Chargers had him playing safety, linebacker, corner. He was on the edge. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like, if a guy can do something, you can see it on tape in in his abilities. Just because he hasn't played a position doesn't mean he can't. Now, that's not to say, like, you should draft a guy – like a quarterbacker in the first round and be like, I'm going to move you to receiver or tight end. But guys are changing positions constantly in the NFL. So if you're drafting a defensive lineman who maybe has played more on the interior, but you want to move him to edge, so long as he has the like athletic capabilities of doing that, I don't see why that would be such a huge issue. Yeah, exactly. And people will be like, oh, you're putting a, a square peg in a round hole. I mean, well, guys, the, the hole is not round anymore and the peg is not square. You know, It's always changing. And you got to be able to have that flexibility. you got to be able to change on the fly. And that's one way to do it. So I definitely agree with that. I, it, for me personally, uh, just to kind of get an a example that might relate with a few of you guys better, let's say Brian Burns drops to number 15. That's my favorite po- prospect right there. That's at a need. But what if you were to, say, draft Daniel Jones or Dwayne Haskins just because you need a quarterback to win? I mean, those are two guys that I'm not particularly high on. And I think, you know, if you pass on a top talent like Brian Burns, it's ultimately going to come back to bite you, especially when you have might have an opportunity to draft a quarterback next year. So a lot of a lot of things to tie in for that argument. And that, that's one of my pet peeves as well. Another one of my pet peeves, uh, the he won't be there crowd. Uh, just a quick one, but... I think Redskins fans have learned from experience with this because, like you said, Jonathan Allen was a top-five prospect a couple years ago, and no one expected him to fall to number 17. So, And especially with this draft, there's a lot of players who could kind of fall into that top-tier category, but on the fringe, you know, like I know Brian Burns is a guy who's there. He's kind of on the fringe. A lot of people think he's either a top-ten or top-five talent. Some guys have him at the bottom of round one. 
um, and ultimately he could fall. But you never truly know. And I think it's brash to say, you know, if you, if you look at a scouting report of someone, oh, he's not going to be there at 15. Well, no one knows how the draft is going to play out. A quarterback run could push him down. You know, a run on defensive players could push him down, you know. Uh, it, it, no one knows how it's going to happen. So, also, another one of my uh, pet peeves that I particularly am, uh, have a strong feelings about is uh, hyperbole, using hyperbole about draft prospects, uh, either positive or negative. You know, if you think a guy is a home run prospect, I think Brian Burns is a home run prospect, but I'm not going to use hyperbole about him. I'm going to tell you what I think about him. And if you ask me what possible downsides for him are, I'm going to say it. You know, I, you never want to use hyperbole and kind of filter out the bad or good things because that dissuades you from wanting to learn the real picture. You know, like if I was a huge fan of Dwayne Haskins, if I'm like, this guy's a home run prospect, 50 touchdowns, 4,900 yards, like I'm sold, man. If that's if that's all you're looking at, if you think he's a home run guy, you're not going to know that his mobility is a concern. You're not going to know that, you know, his progressions downfield can be inconsistent. You're not going to know that he's not, he doesn't have the skill set to respond to pressure very well. And while he's very good mentally, there's some hindrances on his upside that make me hesitant to draft him in round one. You know, you're not going to get the full picture if you're if you're invested in that hyperbole. And that's one thing that's really gotten on my nerves lately because I know a lot of people like to kind of like to die on hills for certain prospects. And you know, like some people will say, I'm high on Dan- on Drew Locke, you know, but. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to tell you what his downsides are. And he's got a lot of them. It's just a matter of are you willing to take the risk. And I think, but I think if you, if you, uh, if you play the absolutes game, you know, only a Sith deals in absolutes. You don't want to be a Sith. You want to make sure that you're looking at the full picture, the pros and the cons. And that can be hard this time of year. Yeah, no. And I think, I think you brought up some good points there. And, hyperbole and the whole he's not going to be there kind of tie into each other a little bit too because it is hyperbole sometimes to say oh this dude is definitely not going to be on the board at 15 like you said we don't know how the draft's going to shake out generally speaking we have a pretty good idea of maybe five or six prospects that definitely won't be on the board but this year is a little bit different there really there really aren't a lot of guys that we can categorically say like yeah this guy is definitely not going to be available there are a couple but you know there's a possibility like you said a run on quarterbacks or run on run on edge players could push some other guys down Um, so you never know what's going to happen with the draft so talking in absolutes like that is always risky Um, and then with the hyperbole it's like yeah you can think a guy's the best prospect at his position. But you also have to look at his weaknesses because otherwise you become blind to everything. Like, for example, I like Daniel Jones probably the most of the first-round quarterback prospects. Um, but not by a lot, but I, I don't like this quarterback class. Yeah. But, like, I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh, Daniel Jones is perfect at everything. Like, he obviously has some trouble. He tries to do too much with his legs sometimes. doesn't have the greatest arm strength. Um, and you know, his ball placement could be a little bit better, but yeah, you, you can't like say this guy is going to be the next great thing unless it's like abundantly clear that he is worlds better than his competition. And even then it's still a risk because remember Jameis Winston coming out, he was supposed to be one of the greatest quarterback prospects in a while. Not, not quite Andrew Luck level, but you know, he was widely considered to be a very good quarterback prospect, and that hasn't panned out. Yeah, yeah, and Marcus Mariota too was kind of he was kind of 
it was kind of them too, like which one's going to be better. And they've both kind of disappointed at this point in their careers. So you, you got you can't fall into that trap of hyping up guys just because they're at the top of the food chain. And that's, yeah, and I think that ties into uh, kind of kind of ties into this next one. Uh, I one thing that I've kind of seen around Twitter and around Discus and all that is uh, the he could versus he will uh, kind of DK Metcalf. Uh, if we're gonna talk about that, I've seen people say like, oh, he's a hundred percent gonna be a bust. Um, uh, Nathan Coleman, one of my uh, buddies at FPC, has a uh, you know he he shared a quote with me: uh, "Never begin with the end in mind. Uh, you, you always want to project development. You always want to." think about what they could be you know you want to think about their upside you never want to assume that they might have a certain career trajectory just because of a certain factor like I know DK Metcalf the injury concerns have turned some people off I know the agility concerns have turned some people off although to me those are overblown but I think uh, you never want to magnify one factor and use it to you know oversee all the other factors you you want to take it all and you want to mix it all together and for me uh, another thing that i'm trying to do a little bit better is kind of use analytics in my evaluations you know it, it's a work in progress and i do i do prefer film to analytics but at the same time you know the analytics do matter and you want to kind of mix it in there you never want to you never want to take one flavor you know it's you got to mix it all together and you can't just assume that a guy is going to do something uh, just because of one factor. So I think for me, uh, that weighing certain factors above others is kind of, it's got to be a balance and it's kind of hard to attain that in draft season, but you know, you, you got to make your best effort, I think. Yeah. And with the development curve, like the could be versus will be, Yeah, it, you're right. And that we don't know how any of these guys are going to translate. We have unsuspected busts all the time that's what makes them busts guys break out antonio brown was a sixth round pick he's now the best receiver in the nfl or at least the top five guy so yeah you got to look at how they're going to progress and that also ties back a little bit to something we talked about positional versatility like you also have to acknowledge like all right say this guy can't do this what else can he do so like jonah williams for example is a first-round prospect at either the tackle position or possibly the guard position. Now, he only played tackle in college, but there might be a team that looks at him and says, based off these projections, we think you're a better fit at guard. And the same can be said for Cody Ford. And I think Cody Ford's actually an even better example of this Mm -hmm. in that he played right tackle and may move to guard. But it's one of those things where you have to not just look at, okay, what are they going to be right away and look more at, like, what – can they become especially with a guy like Metcalf because receivers coming into the NFL notoriously take long to develop I I think the old adage is that by year three the receiver should typically break out that's usually when the they start to become if they're going to be a number one receiver that's when it happens obviously some guys like Odell Beckham were way ahead of the curve there but you know there is a certain amount of time it will take for these certain prospects to adjust to the NFL level yeah yeah so you really need to be patient and you can't just jump the gun and be like oh no it's not gonna happen and um I know another guy that that uh, some people aren't as high on guys like Rashawn Gary and Charles O'Menehu for that reason is that they don't really fall into a positional category a specific positional category they could be edge they could be D tackle and that turns people off like I don't know where to put this guy but you got to look at where's his upside highest, you know, how can I use this guy uh, in situational, situationally, you know, in different spots, different looks. 
you gotta you gotta know how to maximize that because you can maximize it in certain situations. You can't just be like, oh, you know, it's a square, it's a square peg in a round hole. That that ultimately keeps you from making those decisions that might help your franchise in the long run. So definitely some good stuff here, Jacob. You got any pet peeves that you want to uh, share uh, after all that? We were kind of on a roll. I, I'm kind of switching it up a little bit, but got any more pet peeves in there? Yeah, I, I got one big one, and th- this one's less of a pet peeve um, as, as it is like an acknowledgement of something that I think we all should kind of acknowledge at this point. Um it involves a quarterback position. Generally speaking, there are quarterbacks that go in the first round, and generally speaking, these quarterback prospects go high. Now, I I know we just talked about the, oh, never say he won't be there um, debate, but like I've seen some people say that maybe Daniel Jones could be on the board for the Redskins' second-round pick. I find that extremely hard to believe because of the rise of quarterbacks. I mean, if you look at the last five drafts, there have been 16 quarterbacks taken in the first round. And all of these uh, – so of these players, 12 of the 16 went in the top 12 picks. So you're looking at 75% of the first-round quarterbacks drafted in the last five years have gone inside the top 12. And the only four that didn't are Johnny Manziel, who had some character concerns, Teddy Bridgewater, who came from that same draft class, Paxton Lynch, who obviously ended up being a bust, and then Lamar Jackson is kind of the outlier as this guy who might actually be a franchise quarterback. And the only reason that he fell was because there were so many other good quarterbacks in last year's draft that it pushed him down the board. But I, I just think that in a weaker draft class like this, thinking that Daniel Jones will make it to the second round, I just, I don't see that happening. I think, if anything, he's more likely to be a top 15 pick than he is to be on the board in the 40s. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And teams will always inflate the value of quarterbacks, but not just that. I mean, uh, I know draft Twitter isn't high on Daniel Jones, and me personally, I'm not super high on him. I know you think he could be a competent starter, uh, and that's, you know, I, I do think he has that upside, but I think NFL teams are actually pretty high on him relative to, uh, the uh, outsiders and I think uh ultimately if he's got the traits if he's got that leadership that people were talking about he was trained by Cutcliffe if he's got the athleticism if he he's even got modest arm talent you know they're they're gonna they're gonna say to themselves hey we can make something out of this guy and maybe they can but if you think you can make something out of a quarterback on his rookie contract you're gonna get him in round one you know yeah, and exactly and sorry to interrupt you here but the, the important distinction between round one and Round one quarterbacks and quarterbacks after that is the fifth-year option uh, where you hold control over these guys for five years definitively before having to use the franchise tag. So that's another reason that even if if Jones falls out of the top 15 picks, which is well within the realm of possibility, I don't think he makes it out of the first round because of those teams that are always looking for a franchise quarterback, if someone sees something they'll like, they'll trade up to get him, much like the Ravens did with Lamar Jackson last year, um, even though they didn't have a ton of competition before their next pick. So, uh, And this applies to any of the quarterbacks that possibly could slip, because aside from, well, this isn't even for sure, but Kyler Murray looks like he's probably going to be the number one overall pick. Um, But like, if Haskins or Locke or Jones slips, Somehow, I still don't think that they're going to get out of the first round. I, I just am not seeing 
how that would necessarily happen unless all three of them somehow fall into the 20s, which is something that would shock me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just the nature of the quarterback position. I mean, I think those stats that you brought up kind of kind of give us the full picture there. I mean, uh, teams are always going to inflate the value. They're going to try and get their guy. And I think even if they drop a little bit in the first round, I think there's a certain point where they're going to drop in one of these quarterback needy teams or a team that will need a quarterback somewhere in the near future is going to say, hey, I need to get this guy. I, I, I could get him at great value right now. Uh, relative great value as opposed to, you know, trading up, up to number two for Mitch, Mitch Trubisky or whatever, you know. But um, I think, yeah, so I really agree with you. I think quarterbacks, uh, it's, a, it's a premier commodity, and you got to make sure that you get it, and teams are going to do everything they can. If they even believe a little bit, they're going to do everything they can. And uh, you talked a little bit about last year's class and the possibility of the Cardinals taking Murray number one overall. So I do have one thing that you reminded me of, and uh, that's uh, – the Josh Rosen conversation has been very, very um, fiery. I, I guess that's the right word for it. But um, you've got believers and you've got doubters a little bit, guys who aren't as sold. And, you know, I'm, I'm all for not being as sold on, on Josh Rosen because he wasn't great in his rookie season. You know, you got to factor in the situation he was in. The context has to be a necessary, um, a necessary filter. Yeah, he was in a bad situation, but at the same time, someone's going to have to get a reclamation project, and you know everyone's talking about is he worth it? And I, I see a lot of people uh, bring up raw stats, uh, you know, say, oh, Rosen had 26 touchdowns, Haskins had 50 touchdowns. You know, Haskins is better than Rosen. Uh, if if you think Haskins is better than Rosen, that's that's fine. We can talk about it. I I don't agree with that in the slightest, uh, based off of my evaluations. But um, I, I I was really high in Rosen last year after watching some of his tape, but. Uh, I think there's a certain threshold, a competence threshold for quarterbacks, especially as starters in college, where you can say, you know, okay, you know, he produced enough where it's not a red flag. And so, Pete, when some when you pit Haskins stats against Rosen stats, it doesn't really matter to me because they were both starters. You know, they both played at a pretty high level, and they both put enough stuff on tape where you can say, hey, I, you know, he might be a starter at the next level. And I think I encourage you guys not to look at raw stats as the end all to your argument because then you'll have guys like Gardner Minshew going around one and no one wants that except maybe Minshew but um you got to make sure you supplement the argument and you know the stats are kind of you know it can be good context you know like okay this guy produced as much as I want him to in the NFL but ultimately you got to look at you know certain traits and stats can convey certain traits Uh, I know accuracy you know, there's some advanced metrics that can convey that, you know, like adjusted completion percentage. Uh, and I know there's more raw accuracy stats, you know, analytics and stuff like that, that you can use to project that. But I would not use raw stats, uh, you know, just college football sports reference or pro football sports reference. Don't just go there. You know, you got to dig a little deeper. And we always, you know, me and Jacob with our scouting reports, we always try to be reliable messengers for you guys. You know, we try to look at the tape in an unbiased light and try and give you the best information that we can give you. And, you know, there's also links to other places. The draft network is great, but, um, you got to make your own opinion. You got to make your own decision on what you think about these guys. And ultimately you're going to come across some information that might need a little more seasoning and might need a little more context to it to give you the full picture. Never settle for an incomplete picture. You know, it's draft season. That's a dangerous, and it's a dangerous mistake that a lot of teams fall for. So you got to be careful with that, and you got to, you know, you're stepping on eggshells. You don't want to crack. So 
that that's another pet peeve of mine. I don't know how you feel about that, Jacob. Yeah, no, I I took away one big thing from what you just said, and uh, I, it's about the college stats. Like, if you just look at the stats, or like if you're not if you're not focusing on both. Um, I read this uh, mock draft on CBS Sports recently. Um, I think it was posted in mid March, and um, it was it was a really interesting experiment. It and the title was it's a mock draft. It's here's what would happen if you pick guys based solely by their college careers. So this is literally if you were just box score scouting, no tape, nothing. You're just looking at the raw numbers and picking guys, and you got guys. The top five picks, Kyler Murray still comes off the board number one. But then number two pick, which I would love because I'm a UMass grad, was Andy Isabella. <laughs> um, and then Jalen Ferguson was at four. And, you know, there was some other stuff that, like, Khalil Hodge from Buffalo at eight. Jake Browning went in the top ten. So, you know, stats are important to a degree. But you got to back them up with tape. And – you can compare guys' stats and be like, look, these raw stats are better. But you also have to understand that guys are coming from different systems, different types of offenses, different styles. And also, the supporting cast plays a massive role, especially for quarterbacks. Yeah. Um, so I'll use Dwayne Haskins and Daniel Jones as an example. Haskins had massive statistical numbers this year, and he showed some good skills as well. But he also had a terrific supporting cast. Daniel Jones' stats, not quite as good. But if you watch on tape, he had no time to throw a lot, and a ton of his passes were dropped. So I, I always think in my head, what if we switched where Daniel Jones and Dwayne Haskins had gone to school? What would happen there? Or what would their support, if they played with different supporting casts, what would it look like? And I think we saw the result of what would happen if a highly touted prospect played with a poor supporting cast last year when – Josh Rosen went to the Cardinals and had to play with basically no offensive line and couldn't had no time to get the ball to his receivers. Yeah, and Mike McCoy is his offensive coordinator, which uh, that's about as bad as it can get for a rookie quarterback. So, um, yeah, definitely the supporting cast plays a huge role, and uh, you you got to make sure you kind of filter that out and you know understand that these quarterbacks. You know, it, it, it really matters for them. And you can you can kind of gauge their personal skill sets from the tape, but you got to look at how much help they're getting. And especially in the NFL, that's big because you got to know how much help you need to give them. And I think, uh, you know, you look at Haskins' stats, you, you might think, oh, this guy's a superstar. You know, he can do it all on his own. This guy's a playmaker. But for me, when I watched his tape, I didn't see a playmaker. I saw a distributor who was very good at using his playmakers, but did I see a guy who can transcend uh, lapses in structure? I didn't. I didn't see that, and I think it's important to kind of take an unbiased view to that. And who knows? You know, maybe he could develop. You know, maybe his arm could get stronger, a little more accurate downfield. Maybe he could uh, really get into a perfect situation and just light up the NFL. I don't know. I could be wrong. You know, and if I'm wrong, if we're wrong, you know, we'll, we'll change our we'll change our process next year, and we'll just go go at it. It's always a learning process, but you got to make sure you get the full picture. And I think I think that's a good way to cap it off. I don't know if you've got any final thoughts, Jacob. I was wrong about Deshaun Watson, so I'll just throw that in there to <laughs> let you guys know that no, I'm not afraid to be wrong. I was wrong about Deshaun Watson. I was right about Pat Mahomes in that draft, but I was wrong about Deshaun Watson. I did not think he would pan out as a starter, and he's been solid. So. Yeah, me and Ian will always admit when we're wrong. So exactly, there you have and it. I, I'm I'm pretty high on Drew Locke. You know, I really like his mentality. 
you know, and I think he's got the traits where if he falls into the right situation, he can become a good starter. But um, if, if he flames out, you know, I'll be the first to admit, hey, I was wrong. I needed to change up my process and we're going to do that next year. So it's always a learning process. You can always build on the knowledge that you have and the wealth of knowledge. And we try to be reliable messengers for you guys, but, you know, never settle for what we tell you, you know, because we might not be right. You know, and we, we try to be accurate as best as we can, but no one ever knows what happens in draft season. So I encourage you guys to always keep striving to learn a little bit more. And, you know, the links are in the tape, the links to the tape are in the articles too. So if you want to watch for yourself, see what you see, everyone sees different things. So it's just, it's just how it is. It's always going to be subjective and that's what makes it so fun. Uh, with that, I guess we're going to wrap it up. Uh, we, we are out of time, uh, but uh, we'll be back for you guys later this week with another podcast um, with another guest for you. So um, in the meantime, enjoy this one and uh, peace out. Have a good night.